Amen. So as you are grabbing your seat, go ahead and grab your Bibles. I hope that you have those with you today and open them to the book of Matthew. We'll be in Matthew chapter 28. Before we get there, though, I do want to just say um, thank you so much uh, for the opportunity for me and my family to uh, be able to get away the last two weeks. I want to say thank you to Pastor Travis uh, for doing an incredible job filling the pulpit and really holding down everything that happened here for two weeks so that we could truly be away. So I really, really appreciate that. We had the opportunity as a family to go to West Palm, Florida. So we took a little bit of a stop in uh, Dothan, Alabama. That's where I served at a church previously and spent a couple days with friends there and then all the way down to West Palm, Florida. If you don't know, that is a long, long ways away. Uh, We drove all of that, and some of you may or may not know, we have five children. Four of them came back with us. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. All five came back with us. And uh, it was a wonderful time to be able to get away. But uh, we, we did decide on the way home uh, that we want to propose um, a name change that maybe we could vote on as a church family here. I don't like the word family vacation, okay? Uh, if you've ever been on, raise your hand if you've been on a family vacation. All right, so most of the hands in the room. So you guys know where I'm headed with this. Uh, I propose a name change to family experience, okay? Um, Instead of vacation, let's drop vacation and and replace it with the word experience. And and that way, we have permission to do that. You guys have permission to do that. We've talked to several families around here. You guys went on the trip as well. It was a great time, though. But on the way back, we broke it up into three days, eight hours a day, Three days, five kids, minivan, wife, snacks, everything. And so we are just flying back to uh, Olathe. And on the way back, uh, it cracked me up because Aaron begins to say, this was so much fun that I'm looking up what it costs to rent RVs for next summer so that maybe we could go to the Grand Canyon. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to have to seriously pray about that, okay? Um, th- th- there's, there's probably a 0% chance that's happening. But we had a great time. It was wonderful to be away. It truly was. It was a fantastic time with family. And I really do appreciate Pastor Travis and all that he does to help uh, me here uh, at the church. And so thank you guys, too, for the opportunity uh, to be away. And we are excited to be back. I'm also excited to let you guys know that we are starting this morning a four-week sermon series that we're only doing here at Olathe. So we're getting the opportunity to do our own uh, little sermon series here, taking a break uh, from the book of Revelation for, for four weeks. And we're going to uh, begin a, an adventure into a sermon series that I'm calling Reclaiming the Mission. And so we're going to talk about the next four weeks, what it means to be great commission disciples makers and why that's so important for us as individuals, but also for us as a church. So what, what does that mean? What does it look like? And, and how does that impact the way uh, that we do things here as a family, as a body of believers together? And so this morning... We're going to just start things off with taking a look at the mandate. And so we're going to look at the Great Commission in in Matthew chapter 28. And then next week, we're going to talk uh, more about um, our motivation. So we're going to talk about the mandate today. Next week, our motivation for making disciples. Week three, we're going to talk about our maturity, that we can't make disciples if we ourselves aren't a disciple and growing in Christ-likeness. And then we'll finish up in week four talking about methods. So how do we actually do this? What are we supposed to do? And the Bible says, go make disciples. 
What do we need to be doing as individuals and, again, as a church? And we'll also be sharing with you some, some cool things that are coming uh, in the future for the fall and, and how we're going to accomplish those things. But that's kind of where we're headed the next four weeks. So this week, again, the mandate, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20 is what we're going to look at. And before I get going to these, I wanted to share with you uh, three real practical reasons why I think this study this overall series is going to be really good for us. First one is this. Reason number one why I think this is important is, is the spiritual condition of the world in which we live right now today. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like the last 18 months have really confronted us with the reality of our spiritual condition, right? And it's something that we knew was going on. Like, I think everybody in the room understands that, like, that there are people who are still dead in their sin, and we live in a world of spiritual darkness and, and all those things. But there were so many things that were allowing us to mask those things and keeping them kind of below the waterline that, that maybe we just weren't as aware of it as we should have been. And I think the last 18 months, we've been confronted with the spiritual condition of our world in a way uh, that I think is actually good. And the reason why I think it's good is because I think God has used the last 18 months and the pandemic that we went through as a way to kind of pull back the curtain and, and reawaken his church to the things that are going on around us, right? Like, like awake, oh sleeper, right? Like, like there are some serious things going on in our world, and I think that it's incredibly important that we understand that as we begin this study. You know, we, like I said, we've known that things are going on, but they've just been more in our face in a way that, that I can't remember in, in my lifetime. And it is very interesting to me how God oftentimes uses major worldwide events uh, to bring about revival amongst his people, right? And I think that that's what we have the opportunity to see them. But, but some of the things we've seen the last 18 months, some of the things that we've been confronted with, number one is uh, this has revealed something about our own hearts, right? Last 18 months, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, in the last 18 months, depression is up 30% among all people in the United States, up 30%. Alcohol sales last year rose 55% in one year. In 2020, because and as a result of the pandemic, and what it began to do is it began to reveal to us some things that were already there that we were really just kind of making it through and putting band-aids over. So it revealed to us our own hearts. It also uh, it confronted us with the idea of death. Right of life and death, uh, we we go to great lengths. If you really think about this in our culture, we go to great lengths to avoid death at all costs. In fact, um, we we don't even experience death like people used to on a regular basis. Uh, in in how we even have food and things like that. You ever considered that? Like it, it's so um, eye opening. Like when you go on mission trips, do you go to places around the world that still are confronted with death on a daily basis? It, it's just different, right? Like I have a I have a buddy who went to Haiti uh, several years ago, and they're on a mission trip, and the guy um, who's going to be cooking their meal uh, brings up a chicken and a goat, and they're both alive, and he's like pointing, like, which one you want? You want the chicken or the goat? And they're like, I guess we'll try the goat. The guy's like, the goat? Like, yes, the goat. And so he just whips out a knife, and he just, you know, he prepares it for dinner right there on the spot. And they were just like shocked at like, oh my gosh, like, like it's something that took them back. But they were confronted in that moment with death. It's something that we have been as well. We've been reminded, and not just us as believers, but the entire world, the entire world, lost and those that are believers, have been reminded and confronted with the fact 
that we experience death as a result of sin in this life. We've also been confronted with the things that have been happening in world governments around here. I mean, can you guys even imagine, did you ever think that we would be to a place where pastors in Canada, just to the north of us, are going to prison and jail and being fined for holding church services? Is that an incredible thought to think? And, and to think for us that, that these are things that could potentially come down the road for us, but it has confronted us in a way that is very unique. It's made us very mindful of the spiritual condition of the world. Listen, we've talked about kingdom a lot, and we've been reminded a lot that we are a part of God's kingdom, but the world, those that are not a part of Christ, they're a part of an earthly kingdom whose leader is Satan. He's the enemy, right? And he's out to do everything he possibly can to mess up the things of God, the plans of God, and all that. And we're beginning to see some of that all around the world. And I also want to even say here, some of the things that we've even seen most recently, um, I shared with Aaron this. This is the first time in my adult life that I've ever lived somewhere where my neighborhood right here, Persimmon Hill, is a neighborhood right here in the Olathe area that we lit up the front entrance to our neighborhood with rainbow colors to celebrate Pride Month in June. The neighborhood that I live in. And, and, and we're being confronted with the spiritual. And listen, let me say this. This isn't about a particular sin that that represents, but it's about the fact that we live in a culture that not only participates in sin, but is celebrating sin and they are on a crash course with their own destruction. And that's why this series is going to be so important. So the first reason it's important is because of the spiritual condition of our world. The second reason why this is going to be an important series is because God's plan has not changed. God's plan to redeem the world has not changed. Everything in our lives can change, but God's plan has remained the same. His plan is still to go and make disciples, right? It's to start with taking the good news of the gospel to those that are lost and dying. And then the Bible tells us to teach them all that we know. It's to make disciples. His plan has not changed. And let me say this. This is our singular mission as a church. It's the singular mission that we were given by Christ himself. We do not get to decide what our mission is. God's already decided that for us. It's to make disciples, and that's why this is so important. There is no plan B. There is no backup plan uh, to all of this. God's plan has remained the same. And reason number three why I think this, this series is going to be important for us is because it's our responsibility to keep the main thing the main thing, right? There's lots of good things that churches can do. But if we're not careful, we begin to let a bunch of things creep in and take our focus from the main thing. And it's our responsibility to make sure that we keep the main thing the main thing. And that is to make disciples. It made me think this week. When we got home, uh, we had some kids that had some bedroom situations that they needed to help clean up, right? And it made me start thinking, like, I've got five kids, and they kind of all approach uh, the cleaning of their room in a little bit different way, right? I've got the one that if I say, hey, can you go in and, and hang up all of your laundry and put all your clothes away, you know, the basket sitting room, all I need you to do is just go in and hang that up. I've got the one kid that's going to go in, and they're going to hang all that up, but they will leave everything else there. Do you guys have this kid? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you've got, like, like the one thing you asked them to do, they're going to do, but they don't do anything else, all right? So that's kind of an extreme. And then I've got 
guy, another one. I'm not going to give names here because I don't, I don't want them to uh, feel self-conscious about this. But I've got another one that I'm like, hey, can you go in and just uh, put the laundry away and all that? And she will do everything but that. Okay? Um, and I can say she because there's four of them and you still don't know which one I'm talking about. All right? So, so. But she's going to do, like, she'll probably be, like, doing ballet stuff out in the, the hallway, right? But the one thing she's not going to do is put those clothes away, right? And then I've got the one uh, that, uh, i got to be a little bit more careful. Well, I'm, I'm letting the cat out of the bag now. Um, I, I've got one, uh, my son, he's at camp, so he'll never know this, so don't tell him. Um, <laughs> I, I've, got, I've got the one that I'm like, listen, I need you to just go in and like, if you could just hang up your clothes and put all your stuff away, man, that would be an incredible help. And he's that kid, you probably have, you might have one of these too. He, he's that kid uh, that like, you'll come back 30 minutes later and like out in the hallway is like his desk and his chair and his mattresses. And you're like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? And you peek your head in the room, you're like, hey, buddy. Uh, what's going on, man? And I'm just cleaning, just cleaning, right? Decided I'd rearrange my room while I was at it, right? And it's like, hey, listen, but the basket of clothes is sitting right there. Like, could you put those up first before you do that? Like, oh, no, no. Like, he's just that kid, though, you know? Like, he's reorganized his room, or he's the one that, like, he'll come back 45 minutes later. And he's like, Dad, you're never going to believe this. I found that Lego set that I was looking for last year. I'm like, buddy, what does that have to do with the clothes that I needed you to fold, Right? And I say that, it's just a funny way to say, like, listen, I need him to focus on the main thing, right? The, the one thing that I was asking you to do is the thing that I need you to do the most. And I feel like that's a challenge for us as believers. It's our responsibility as well within the church to keep the main thing the main thing. Listen, Jesus is going to return one day, and I'm going to be held accountable for one thing, and that's making disciples. And while it's good to do all these extra other things... If I spend too much time doing all those and never make any disciples, then I've messed this whole thing up, right? I've got this thing out of order. I'm the, I'm the kid when Jesus shows up and all the stuff is out in the hallway, right? And, and he's just going, listen, listen, that's fine. That's great. We can rearrange the room, but, but can you please just do the thing that I asked you to do? Just do that first, right? And I'm glad that you found the Lego set. I'm, I'm grateful for all of those things, but, but can you just do the thing that that I ask you to set out to do. And those are the three reasons why I think this study is going to be incredibly important for us. Remember, the, so the, the three reasons were this. Our spiritual condition of the world. Number two was that God's plan has not changed. And number three, it's our responsibility to keep the main thing the main thing. And I think these are things that we will be challenged with throughout our study of this sermon series on the Great Commission. All right, well, with all that said, let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. I'm going to read these, and then we will pray and unpack this text together this morning. All right. Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray together this morning. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we thank you for this, at the end of Matthew here, this, this great commission, God. 
this mandate that you've given to us, Lord. I pray that you would uh, just remind us this morning, God, that this is the singular mission that you've given to us as the church, as individuals, but as a corporate body of believers, God. And I pray, Lord, that you would that you would challenge us today. God, I pray that you would help us move uh, towards action, God. I pray that you'd help us to remember why this is so important that we do the things that you've asked us to do here, God. And we pray that you'd guide us and lead us through our time here together. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so as we begin to unpack this text today, I've broken it down into four different sections, and the first section that we're going to see in the study of this is the setting, all right? So we're going to see the setting in verses 16 and 17. Now, let me reread them for you, and then I want to talk about this for a second because it's so interesting to me. So verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So the setting, so for us to fully understand what's going on here, remember we've got, we're down to 11 disciples now because Judas isn't a part of this deal. Jesus Christ has already uh, been crucified. He's already been raised back to life. We know from the book of Acts that he spends some 40 days appearing to the disciples and things like that. We know based upon uh, Matthew chapter 20 that he told them even before he was crucified that when I'm raised back to life, I'll meet you in Galilee, right? And so they're meeting him at the place that he's already promised to meet them and that he had directed them. And then verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. I want you to think about this for a second. These 11 disciples, these are the disciples who Jesus handpicked. These are the same guys who Jesus spent almost every waking moment with for three years. They witnessed all of his miracles. They witnessed all of his power. I mean, these guys watched him feed 5,000 people with a kid's Lunchable, right? This tiny little fish and loaves, and he feeds all these people. These are the same guys who were on a boat with him that thought that they were going to die from a storm. And Jesus wakes up and goes up on top, and he just says, listen, enough, be still, and the storm is quieted. Like, they've seen him do unbelievable things, and at this point, they've even seen him go to the cross, die a horrific death, be buried in the tomb, and raised to life three days later. They were witnesses to all of these things, and we get to verse 17 here, and it just blows me away that that these guys are standing before Jesus, and it says, they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, these 11 guys, think of this. You've got Doubting Thomas standing there. You've even got Peter, who just before Jesus is crucified, what does Peter do? Pop quiz. Who said it? Denied him, right? Three times. He denies Jesus three times. One to a little girl. He's like so scared that she's going to tell somebody. He, he denies even knowing Christ. And this is the band of guys that he's put together. This is the setting that we see. Jesus is about to communicate the most important mission that he could possibly communicate. The most important mission that he could hand off to other guys. Like this is God's plan. In his infinite wisdom, God could have communicated this however he wanted, but he chose to let us participate in his work, and he's about to share the work and the mission with these 11 guys, and I've said it before, and I'll say it. We talked about this in the Genesis series when I was like, listen, if I was God, I would have probably just chosen a new family, right? Uh, I feel the same way about the disciples here. Like, here's 11 guys, like, and Jesus is about to hand over the keys of the kingdom here. Here's what I need you to do. It's the most critical mission that I could give to anybody, and you've got people here who are still doubting him, 
And you've even got a guy who just a couple weeks ago denied even knowing Jesus three times. And you're about to hand off this mission to these guys? Like, this is the setting that we see here. Like, they're on the side of this mountain. And if I'm Jesus, I'm just thinking, you know what? Maybe, maybe I should repick a team, right? You, you, you ever think that? Like, like, are these the guys? You, you know, he's like praying to God and Father, like, seriously, like, are these them? Like, these are the 11 that we're going to do this with? Okay, then I'm going to continue to pass the mission on to him. But that's what we have here in the setting. So they're standing for him, some worship, but some even doubted. And remember who these guys are. And then Jesus puts all their doubts away by explaining his authority. So the second thing we see here is the authority from Christ to, to give this, all right? So we see the authority. So look with me uh, in verse uh, 18. And he says, And Jesus came to them and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We know that he has accomplished this through his death, burial, and resurrection. And all authority has been bestowed upon Jesus Christ by God the Father, right? Jesus is saying all authority, not most authority, not some authority, but all authority has been given to me. So he's establishing himself as the one who gets to make the rules. I even looked up the definition for authority for us, and I love the way it says this. It says, authority is this, the power and right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. He has the power and the right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. So Jesus is establishing himself as the one who has all authority, and he's reminding them that that authority has been given to him by God the Father. It reminds me when Jesus stands before Pilate. You guys know what I'm talking about? In the story when Jesus stands before Pilate, and Pilate tells Jesus, listen, don't you know that I have the power to either crucify you or to set you free? And you remember what Jesus responds to Pilate? He responds to him, the authority that you have has been given to you by my Father. So basically, Jesus was saying, listen, the only reason you even have authority is because it's been given to you by my Father. And that was Pilate in that role. Now imagine the conquering Christ. He has now received all authority given to him by God the Father because of his death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus is establishing himself as the one who gets to make the rules and gets to make the decisions and gets to enforce obedience. Not too long ago, uh, Aaron and I went on a uh, date night to uh, Prairie Fire out of 135th Street. If you've never been out there, really, really cool area. We're super bummed, too. One of our favorite places in the world was a dessert place there called Decadent. Did anybody ever have a chance to go there and eat? That's why they went out of business. Thank you, guys. Um, <laughs> Thanks. Um, but we had the opportunity to go there. So there's lots of cool places to eat. And then there was this really awesome dessert shop. So we would go eat and then we'd go over to the dessert shop. There's this cool area that you could sit outside. And so we're sitting outside eating dessert one night and we're like a little bit eavesdropping on a conversation that's going uh, on right over my right shoulder. So there's this young couple sitting at a table behind us, and I overhear them talking about God and whether there is a God or there's not a God, you know. And, and so I'm, I'm like, I'm really tuning into what they're saying. And at some point in the conversation, I hear the young man say to the young lady, even if there is a God, what gives him the right or the authority to say what we're supposed to do or not do? And it just, that, like, hit me weird, right? Like, like you're questioning the authority of God. I'm like, even if there is a God, what gives him the right and the authority 
Because he's God. I mean, that's the definition of him being God, right? That's what gives him authority. And God can bestow authority on anybody he chooses. And in this text, Jesus is saying, the Father has bestowed all authority on me. I'm now the one who gets to make the rules and enforce obedience and make all the decisions. And he's making sure that we understand that because what he's about to say, it sets up what he's about to say. And it helps us understand that this is, in fact, a mandate, right? This isn't, uh, this isn't something that he is really encouraging us to do, or this isn't something Jesus wants us to pray about, whether we should participate in. He is establishing this as a mandate because he has all authority. So let's look at the mandate. Look at verse 19. So since all authority has been given to me, this is what he says, go Therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All right? And so now that he's established his authority and established the fact that he's the one who gets to make the rules and, 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 and enforce all the decisions, he's now saying, this is what I want you to do. Go and make disciples. So it's been given to us as a mandate. Like I said, we don't get to decide what our mission is as a church. No church gets to decide that. Jesus Christ has already established what that mission is, and it is to make disciples. Now, if you see up there, I kind of have that color-coded because in that entire verse 19 and 20a, half of that verse, there's really only one command there in the Greek, one command. All right, And that command is in red. The command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Now, it's surrounded by three participles, and I didn't even know what that was, so I had to look it up this week. Um, so, yeah, you guys can look it up on your own too, but, but it's, it's basically a, a, a verb that you're using as an adjective, right? And it's, 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 uh, it, it enforces action here. And so there's three participles that surround it. So the command of Jesus is to make disciples, and then he lets us in on how he wants us to accomplish that. And he gives us these three things. So the first one is go, or it could be translated as you go or going, right? And so that's the whole idea here. He's saying as you go, Make disciples. So for all of us, this isn't like something that's tied to like missions, right? I think so many times we compartmentalize what Jesus has called us to do here. And we think of it as evangelism and discipleship as being two separate things. And that's not really what Jesus is communicating. Jesus is communicating this as you go, make disciples. So as you go about your daily life, you should be making disciples. You should understand that your life is one of an everyday missionary. So even if you don't go halfway around the world to, to be a, a full-time missionary, you are still called to be a missionary, and you're still called to take the gospel to people as you go. So as you go just simply means wherever you're at, wherever you find yourself, right? It's the idea of blooming where you're planted. As you go to work, make disciples. As you go to the park, be thinking about making disciples. As you go to the grocery store, as you go about your daily routine, you're to be making disciples. And then he gives us the second one there. The second one is baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So why is that important? Why is it important that we baptize? It's, it's, it's our outward way of, of t 
telling other people that we are going with Jesus Christ. So he's saying, as you go, you're to make disciples. And as you make disciples, you're to help them understand that they need to be baptized because that's their public profession of faith. So that's why baptism for us is so important here. It's why we love getting to celebrate uh, baptistry, uh, I mean, uh, baptism with folks is because it's their public declaration of going with Jesus Christ. Listen, there is no uh, such thing in the New Testament as a follower of Jesus who does not get baptized. It just doesn't even make sense. The only person that you could even point to is probably the thief on the cross, but that's not because he didn't desire to be baptized. It's just really hard to be baptized while being crucified, right? And so that's the idea here. So, so going as you go to make disciples, as you make disciples, you're to teach them that they need to be baptized, celebrate that outward uh, going with Christ, that outward testimony. And then he gets down to verse 20a, and it says, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. All right? And so that's what I mean by compartmentalizing. Oftentimes, we think of evangelism and discipleship as two separate things. And the way that Jesus teaches it is all part of one thing, right? It, it's all part of the same thing, that but we're to be making disciples by sharing the good news of the gospel, that when people give their heart and life to Jesus Christ, we're to be encouraging them to be baptized so that other people will know that they're a part of the family of God, right? And then we're also to teach them all that he commanded them, all right? And that's so important. I remember when we lived, I was on staff at a church in Rogers, Arkansas, and there was a guy there, an awesome, incredible man of God. So I don't mean this as a, a put down to him. It's just an example that would go out, and man, he was unbelievable at sharing the gospel. Like he would go out and anywhere, like he would find people in the park, he would lead people to a relationship with Jesus Christ in the, in the line at a grocery store. Like, I mean, like how in the world do you even have time to do that, and he's got people like praying to receive Christ in the middle of Kroger there or where, you know, and, and it's like, this is unbelievable. But one thing that used to always frustrate me a little bit was like I would come into the office and there would be like little notes on my desk that were like, one uh, something, 14 years old, led to Christ in the park, here's his phone number. And like he would give it to me. You know, and I'm like, well, what's, what's this for? And he's like, well, I led this kid to Christ in the park, uh, so I thought, you know, you'd be a good guy to disciple him, all right? Like I said, awesome guy, but really kind of misunderstanding what Jesus is saying here. Not that I can't be a part of this young man's discipleship journey, but God put him in his life. Right, And so part of this is all the same deal. As you are leading people to Christ, you are also the key person that God has placed in their life to teach them all the things. All right, And you don't have to be an expert. I think so many people are scared of discipleship because you're like, I don't know all the stuff. You don't have to know all the stuff. I guarantee you, you know more than the baby Christian that you just led to the Lord. So it's a working together, but it's all together. It's all one thing. As you are going, you'll be making disciples. Then you help them to understand the importance of baptism, and then you help teach them what it means to be a follower of Christ. So this is what we see in the mandate. This is the thing that we don't get to opt in and out of. Jesus is saying, this is the deal. This is the mission. And then we get down to verse 20b, the second half, and then we see the promise, all right? 
So here we have the promise. So this is what Jesus says. After he says all these things, he gives us the most encouraging part of the whole deal. Like I said, I think so many people are fearful of sharing the gospel. And so many people are fearful of discipling other people because they just feel like it's, it's way out of their league, right? Like they, they don't know how to do these things. But Jesus promises us here that he's going to be with us. Look at the, the second half of this. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not only is Jesus with us and he's ruling and reigning in heaven, but what does he send to us? He sends us the helper. The Bible tells us that he sends the Holy Spirit. And remember, think about this when we started the setting. These 11 guys that are standing here next to Jesus as he's telling this story, I don't know that they're the 11 guys that I would have chosen if I was putting together a team, but they're the 11 guys that Jesus chose. But Jesus knew something that they didn't at that time. Jesus knew that this thing didn't hinge on their ingenuity. It didn't hinge on their ability. It hinged on the power and the ability of the Holy Spirit that he was gonna be sending to them. So remember the guy that denied Jesus three times? In the book of Acts, he's gonna stand before thousands of Jews and he's gonna proclaim Christ crucified and resurrected. And it says on that day, 3,000 people put their faith and trust in Jesus and are baptized. Now, they don't do that because Peter all of a sudden got awesome at this. They did that because of the power and the work of Holy Spirit through Peter. And so that's Jesus's promise to us is that we don't have to have it all figured out. And by the way, you're not going to mess it up. Take that heavy weight off of you. So many people are like, I'm just so afraid of it. I'm going to mess something up that they end up not doing anything. And that's worst case scenario. Jesus entrusted this mission with fishermen and a liar and a guy who didn't even believe this was still Jesus after seeing all the stuff that Jesus did. I have no doubt that through the work of the Holy Spirit, God can use every single person in this room to make disciples. If God can use these guys, he can use everybody in this room, right? And that's his promise to us that he's gonna do this. So as we conclude today, I wanna share with you real fast uh, three things, three things for us today, all right? Before we go, number one is this. So three reminders for us today. Number one, all believers are called to participate. All believers are called to participate in making disciples. We were joking about this this week. This isn't like courses you can opt in and out of. There's not levels of Christianity, right? Like this isn't for like the super Christians or the ones who know all the stuff, the ones that are ready for like the AP Christian course stuff. No, no, no. That's not, remember, Jesus entrusted this to some crazy guys, all right? And because of the Holy Spirit at work in them, they were able to accomplish much, the same thing is true for all of us, and we are all called to participate. also want to remind you, too, that this isn't just for the paid professionals. Listen, Pastor Travis and I would love to talk with anybody that you ever brought to us. But you know what would be even cooler than that is when you start bringing people to us that you go, listen, this is my neighbor, Bob, and he prayed with me yesterday to receive Christ and I want to get him plugged in here at this body of believers, right? Like that's taking ownership. That's taking ownership on a personal level of what it means to make disciples and not just bringing them to the hired guns, if you will. 
And then also on here, I have uh, not gifted. You know, um, we don't get to opt out of making disciples because we don't feel gifted in a particular area here. Like for some of you, how many of you would say like you just don't feel incredibly gifted in the area of evangelism? I'm going to put my hand up because I, I can own that, right? And, but, but it doesn't give me a pass to not share the gospel. Right? We're all called to participate. So I don't get to opt out just because I don't feel particularly uh, gifted in a certain area or, or called uh, to a certain thing. And, and let me say this too. Uh, you don't have to personally disciple the whole world. You can just take that heavy weight off yourself as well. I think so many Christians look at the spiritual environment and the task at hand and they go, whoa. This is way too big for me. And listen, Jesus is not asking you to disciple everyone. But he is asking you to disciple someone. You see the difference? We all need to be participating in this. So where can you find people? Well, let's start with your home. With your home. You realize this, that like 50% of my house does not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I got little kids running around that have yet to profess Jesus as Christ. Me and mama, we've got work on our hands to do in the area of evangelism. This is why we've always got to be having spiritual conversations with our kids, talking to them about Jesus, what he did for them on the cross, why they need to put their faith and trust in him and him alone, the only one that can forgive them of their sins and provide a way of salvation for them. But it starts in our home. And then even once they profess Christ, you know, it's my number one job to make sure that my children are discipled, even before pastoring this church, my number one job when I stand before God one day is gonna be, did you disciple those that I entrusted to you in your own home? So am I doing those things? Am I thinking about creative ways to, to help my kids know more about Jesus? Am I encouraging them to be studying the Bible and practicing spiritual disciplines? Am I doing these things? What about your neighborhood? It's another great place to start, your own neighborhood. And you don't have to go door to door and, and evangelize and make all your neighbors mad after lunch today. That's not what I'm saying, okay? But what I am saying is like, have you ever thought about like prayer walking your neighborhood? Just knowing all the people? I mean, you talk about something that is convicting. We went through a book years ago called The Art of Neighboring, and it had you make us a, a square that was your house, and then it had you uh, make squares all around your house of all the houses that are on your street, and then you had to go through there and write down the names of all your neighbors and the things that were going on in their lives, the way that you could be praying for them. And man, it was convicting because we realized there's a lot I don't know about my neighbors. And a great place to start before just jumping right in with turn or burn is, hey, can I pray for you? Like when you're out and about and you see people, is there anything in your life that you could use prayer for right now? Like could, could I begin to pray for you? Could me and my family begin to pray for you and see how God uses those relationships? What about your workplace? I know often, uh, many times your workplace is becoming increasingly more difficult to, to be Christians and, and to outwardly share the gospel and things like that. But man, it does not keep you from being the best employee and the best teammate at, at the place that you work and also doing stuff outside of this. Man, get the people in your workplace in your home. Practice the hospitality. Get them in your house around your own dining room table. There's nothing illegal or wrong uh, with sharing the gospel with them on your own turf. What about our city? 
mean, think about this. How are we called to participate in the making of disciples in our own city? It's real easy to look around and point at all the things we don't like, like the fact that my neighborhood was lit up in rainbow. But you know what? I'm not called to blow up my HOA about why that's that way. I'm called to pray for people and make disciples because I know the only thing that's going to change them is the good news of Jesus Christ and not an email, right? All right, number two. Number two, there is a personal and corporate component to disciple making. We are all called to participate personally, but there's also a corporate component. God created what is called the church, right? It's not this building. Contrary to popular belief, this is not a church. This is brick and mortar and shingles. You are the church. This is the church sitting right here. It's alive. It's breathing. It's made up of different people from different backgrounds. And there's a corporate component to disciple making. And God has decided he's going to do that through the work of the local church. That's why being here is so important. It's important that you participate in worship. And I know I'm preaching the choir on that one right now because you're already here in worship. But this is why it's so critical Moms and dads, make sure that you're setting an example for your kids that this is important. If they grow up their entire life only coming to church when there's nothing else going on, you can't expect them to graduate, go off to college, and then be looking for the first church that they can join when they get there. There's always going to be something going on, but we should attend worship regularly. That's a part of the corporate component. We should be participating in small group. Listen, let me challenge you with something. If you want to be known here at Fellowship Olathe, if you want to be cared for here at Fellowship Olathe, if you want to experience community here at Fellowship Olathe, the number one place that you're going to find that is in a small group, okay? We call them Sunday school classes, rooms one, two, three, four, five, and six, right down this hallway, right here. Let me encourage you, get involved there, all right? And let me also throw out there, community and caring and all that, it's not just the Sunday school teacher's job. It's all of us. Remember, we're all called to participate. We're all called to carry one another's burdens, to be there with one another, to help foster the community that we wish that we had, all right? The last thing on here I have is that you should also be investing in ministry. So we want you in small groups. We want you in worship. But man, ultimately, the place where God is going to grow you the most is when you have to teach it to other people. Get involved in ministry like you guys have. Man, you have, you heard the call for VBS and you guys have responded in an incredible way. We've got unbelievable amounts of volunteers and stuff for it but I promise you we wouldn't turn you away if you didn't volunteer and you still like to man we would love to have you Uh, we've got an early childhood at the far end of the building here Uh, Jeanette is Jeanette in here Jeanette's right there in the back y'all look at this lady stand up Jeanette go clap for her for real because of the work that she's doing With our kids, we're able to sit in here without everyone crying. There's only a couple of adults, but no kids. You notice that? But we're able to do it, and they're down there hearing about Jesus. It's not just child care. It's about learning who Jesus Christ is. This is a part about getting involved in ministry and being part of the church family here. She does an incredible job with that. Is Amber here? She's downstairs because that's where she serves week in and week out. Y'all... Get a hold of her. Find out how you can invest in the lives of the young uh, kids downstairs. Uh, 
in there. We've got several people. How many, how many of y'all, uh, who we got in the room that works in our student ministry right now? Some people do. I know, I hope some people, no, I'm just kidding. Aaron's in here. So we've got student ministry too, same thing, people getting involved. We've also got adult ministry going on, all kinds of opportunities, but get involved in investing ministry. All right, I'm gonna let that one go now. All right, number three, because I gotta hurry. Last challenge, reminder for us today, number three is this, that we're all making disciples of some kind. We're all making disciples of some kind. Have you ever had that moment where one of your kids says something or does something, you're like, oh my goodness, that is their mother. No, I'm kidding, that's me. That's making disciples. The way that they talk, the things that they do, even the teams that they root for. My kids root for the Oklahoma Sooners. They don't have a clue about the Oklahoma Sooners. Well, why do they do that? Because I'm making disciples, <laughs> right? I'm going to be making disciples of some kind, so I better be making disciples of Jesus Christ. And listen, the most important aspect of this whole thing is I cannot make a disciple of Jesus Christ if I do not know Christ myself. I must first be a disciple in order to make disciples. So that's the last challenge that I want to throw out there this morning is before we even get into the rest of the weeks of all this, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about like something you did when you were seven. Like, do you know that you know that you have a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? And if you don't, then this morning is the opportunity for you to come and respond. So I'm gonna pray for us here and then we're gonna have a time uh, of response this morning. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. And God, I just thank you for um, the, the fact that you didn't just leave us here, God, with, with a bunch of questions of what to do, God. You've actually told us. In Acts chapter 1, God, your disciples say, have you come to establish your kingdom? And you reminded them that what they need to focus on is not when the kingdom's coming and when the kingdom's being established, but they are to make disciples of all nations. So God, I pray that you'd remind us that we've got to keep the main thing the main thing. And God, I pray that you'd give us a heart and a desire to see lost people come to life. Got to see people walk away from their previous life of, of sin and going against you, God, and walk into a relationship with you, God. And when they do, I pray that we would be ready to teach them all the things that you've instructed us to. Father, I pray that you'd be with this time now. I pray that you'd be specific where, where I've been generic, God, that you'd speak to the hearts and minds of every single individual person in this room. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.